the wounded, the sick, and the dead. It was noon when Chavez saw the man standing on the roof of the rundown little ranch-style house that stood on the corner of the street. He appeared to be surveying the area, a rifle anchored on his hip. According to the mailbox, his name was Grossman. Chavez looked at the mess of bodies on the lawn, the corpses strung up in tangled barbed wire, the tiger pits buzzing with flies, and thought the name appropriate. Grossman opened the trapdoor he was using to access the roof and disappeared inside. Well, time to get moving. Chavez made easy work of the dead milling around in front, partially to clear a path, partially to prove that he could take care of himself. He knew Grossman was watching. When he was done, he sheathed the knife and tucked it into his back pocket. He hadn't even needed to take his gun out, which was a good thing. There were only two bullets left. Grossman's house remained still and silent as he walked up towards it, hands in the air. Hello? I don't want any trouble. I just need help. He counted to sixty and when he didn't get a response, he counted to 60 again before saying, I just need some supplies, a little food, some water, whatever you can spare. Then I'll be on my way. A voice, nasal and reedy, came from out of nowhere. You cleared up them dead pretty good on your own. Yeah. You armed? Chavez didn't want to answer that question. No need to show his hand yet. Maybe we can make a deal? Deal? Yeah. I can get you anything you want. There was another long pause. Then Grossman said, You got a gun on your hip. What else you got? Nothing else. What about that knife in your back pocket? Shit, of course he saw that. Take off your jacket. Let me see what you got. Chavez swallowed. This wasn't going the way he wanted it to. He needed to come up with an exit plan quick. There were no trees in the yard, but the driveway was choked with vehicles. A white van, a gutted Honda, an old Lincoln. He could duck behind them if he needed to. He took a deep breath and let it out. Fine, I'll give you what you want. He unzipped his jacket, showed the right side, showed the left side. Grossman was unimpressed. No, no, no. Take it all the way off and turn around. Not until we make a deal. You think you hold any of the cards here? I have what I have, you have what you have. Okay. Take off your coat and pants and maybe we'll deal. No way. Gotta make sure you're not gonna ambush me. Not interested. Then neither am I. Damn it. Wait! Chavez yelled. Please, don't go. Here, look. He shrugged his jacket off his shoulders, let it drop to the asphalt, leaving him standing in his jeans and a Doctor Who t-shirt. He kicked the jacket toward the van. Now the pants. Muttering. Chavez unbuckled his belt and took them off, kicked them on top of his jacket. Then he stood there shivering in the cold. You ready to deal or not? Grossman appeared on his roof again, aiming the rifle at him. Well, I don't know. How can I be sure you ain't got anybody else out there with you? I don't. Not anymore. A gust of wind whooshed down the street, blowing leaves and dead weeds, bits of trash. Chavez turned his face away, gritting his teeth against the cold. Grossman smirked, seeming to take pleasure in his discomfort. 
I still ain't too sure. I'm starving. I just need some food. I seen the way you handled yourself. You're pretty good with a knife. Have to be. Mm-hmm. The curtains in the front window of the house pulled aside, drawing Chavez's attention. A pit formed in his stomach. He couldn't believe what he was looking at. It was too terrible. Too sick. All of a sudden, he wanted to run, to get away from Grossman and his dirty house. He tried not to stare, forced himself to tear his eyes away, make it look like he was thinking, like he hadn't actually seen anything. But he was frazzled, and before he could properly plan his next thought, he said, Come on, Grossman, let's do this. All you have to do is let me in your trap door and... Grossman shouldered his rifle faster than Chavez would have guessed possible for such a skinny guy. You been spying on me? No, I... How'd you know about my door? I didn't. I mean, I just... Well, did you or didn't you? I didn't. It was a guess. A few infected stumbled out into the intersection a block away, three in all. They saw Chavez standing there and turned toward him, moaning. One by one, they raised their arms. Grossman smiled. Awful up here, he said. Find your own place. Chavez tried to jump behind the van in the driveway, but he couldn't beat the bullet. He heard the crack of the rifle and his thigh exploded in pain. He landed hard, bit back a scream. Then, without even thinking, he grabbed his belt and jacket and scrambled up the driveway, wedging himself under the spike sticking out of the van's grill. I know you ain't dead yet, Grossman yelled, but you will be soon. He fired four more shots into the air. Here they come. Hoo boy, we got ourselves an honest-to-goodness horde. You got a job of work to do, boy. Chavez had to act fast. He grabbed his belt and tied it tight around his upper thigh, making sure that the holster was on the outside. Then he snatched his jacket and lay down, forcing his wounded leg to bend until his foot was flat. The pain was excruciating, and he saw stars. Finally, he folded up his jacket and compressed the wound, trying to get the bleeding to stop. The infected were coming. He had to get out of there, but when he sat up again, he grew dizzy and sick. Had the bullet struck an artery? If so, he had nothing to worry about. He checked his thigh, looking for... Ah, there it was, an exit wound. He breathed a sigh of relief. He needed to get up and run for one of the houses, but he was just too woozy. Maybe I can close my eyes and recharge, he thought, just for a second. It felt so good, so peaceful to nod off. A pleasant buzz settled in his mind, and his limbs relaxed. It would be nice to see Janice just one more time, to talk to her, kiss her. An image came to him, a memory of their time back at the camp. She was talking to another woman and tying her long hair up in a ponytail. The woman said something, and Janice laughed and looked at him, smiling. He missed her so much. Then he heard a scraping sound and snapped awake with a jolt. One of the infected was in the driveway, reaching for him from the other side of the wall of cars. No! Chavez yelled, falling back. The monster leaned all the way forward, but it couldn't push past the spikes. It strove for him, reaching, reaching, pressing its stomach into the metal. Something ripped and it began to slide forward. On the ground, Chavez could see under the van. Hundreds of pairs of shuffling feet and ragged shoes were heading in his direction. Grossman hadn't been kidding. It really was a horde. The beast in the driveway planted its hands on the hood of the van and the trunk of the car and pulled itself forward. The spikes disappeared into its midsection. Chavez pushed himself away with his good leg. He was so focused on the creature in front of him that he didn't notice a second one dragging up the driveway until it was too late. He turned, and it was on him. He caught it by the chest and fell back, barely able to keep its teeth from ripping into his face. It moaned, heavy and hollow, its breath cold and putrid. Chavez turned his head to the side to avoid its snapping teeth. It would be so easy, wouldn't it, just to give up? Let it tear into his cheek, his neck, his face. He was so tired, 
and his leg hurt so bad. But then he remembered what he'd seen in the window, and he knew what Janice would have done. She wouldn't give up. She wouldn't let Grossman get away with it. He couldn't let her down. With a desperate push, he shoved the monster up and off him, screaming in anger and pain, hurling it backward. It landed on the spike sticking out of the van's rims, the metal thudding through its chest. At the same time, the one wedged between the van and the car pushed all the way through, severing itself in two. It tipped over onto its head and performed a single perfect somersault across the driveway, then lay there, waving its hands in the air like a turtle on its back. Chavez barked out a laugh. What else could he do? The whole thing. The dead rising to life, getting shot by a crazy redneck, was ridiculous. The thing on the ground gasped at him, and that made him laugh even more. It was good, a catharsis, and he let it roll. Still laughing, he pushed himself off the ground, putting all his weight on his left leg. Once he got going, he found he could put a little weight on his right leg, and he half limped and half ran out into the street. The horde followed his arc, turning as one as he aimed for the house on the hill across from Grossman's place. Three tiers of sloping grass separated him from the front door, three flights of stairs. Hopping up was difficult, and he pushed himself until he saw stars going up and up and up. The dead behind him flooded into the yard, slipping on the grass, unable to advance past the first tier. They reached for him, moaning, those in the lead crushed or trampled as more pressed in from behind. When he reached the door, he prepared to ram it down, but something told him to try the knob first, just in case. He grabbed it and closed his eyes, whispering, please, please, please. He wondered if Grossman was watching, if he had his rifle trained on him that very moment. And he wouldn't put him out of his misery, either. No, he'd take out a knee or a shoulder, make him lie there and wait for the dead to swarm and tear him to shreds. He tried the knob. It turned. It actually turned. Chavez awoke to the crack of Grossman's rifle. He was still in the hallway, face down on a rug. The light through the window in the parlor to his right was pale and gray. He'd slept through the night. Another gunshot echoed outside, and he pulled himself to the window and peeked out. One of the dead, what used to be an old woman, lay in the street, a bullet hole in its forehead. Grossman was standing on his roof again, holding a rifle. Stay the hell off my property, he cried. He seemed to take pleasure in taunting them. He shot the legs out from another one, then pumped round after round into it, purposefully not aiming for its head. Chavez backed away from the window on his belly and inspected his wound. The bleeding had stopped, so he took his belt off. It hurt like hell, but that wasn't what he was worried about. He was worried about infection and starvation. He needed water, food, bandages. He nearly sang when he found the tub in the upstairs master bedroom half filled with water. It was clean and clear, so he dropped to his knees and scooped a handful up to his nose. It smelled fine. He plunged his face in and drank deeply, then used more to clean his wound. There was antibacterial ointment in the cabinet, and the closet was filled with pants, belts, and dry clean shirts. He ripped the shirts into bandages and tied them around his thigh. He found a small stash of canned food in one of the children's rooms. He was halfway through a tin of tuna fish when a huge explosion rocked the house. He limped downstairs and peeked out the front window again. Grossman's yard looked like it had been bombed. A huge gulch had been cut out of the earth 20 yards from his front door, and the infected were falling into it, the earth swallowing them one by one. He had to admit that it was a brilliant plan. 
Grossman had, in one fell swoop, decimated almost the entire herd. But now his defenses were down. Chavez stood up and tested his leg, stomping it two or three times on the carpet. It hurt, but he could push through the pain. He picked up his knife and put it in his back pocket, checked his gun. Still had two bullets. Ariel tried not to flinch when the yard exploded. She didn't want to show any emotion. He didn't like that. He beat them if they cried. He beat them if they complained. He beat them. The girl next to her wasn't as good at swallowing her feelings. She was barely speaking when Grossman brought her in. Now she didn't do anything but cry. Ariel hugged her tight and lied to her. It'll be okay. You'll be okay. Nancy glared at them from the other end of the couch. Stop telling her that. Shut up, Nancy. It's not going to be okay. I said shut up. Both of you shut up. Grossman. He peacocked into the room, pumping his fist. He grabbed a half-empty bottle from the mantle and took a big swig. Then he pointed at the girl. You. Your turn. No, Ariel said. Grossman took two steps over and backhanded her. Get her back there. No, leave her alone. I'll do it. That stopped him. He took another swig. Fine, he said. When she didn't jump up, he screamed, Well, what the hell are you waiting for? Ariel took her time getting to the back room. She sat on the bed and tried to calm herself down. She knew better than to try the windows. They were all nailed shut. Even if she managed to get them all out, Grossman had installed bars on the outside. The closets were empty. There was nothing under the bed. Nothing in the dressers. No lamps. No, a hand clamped down over her mouth and she screamed. Shh! Someone hissed in her ear. Quiet! I'm here to help. Ariel stopped struggling. If I take my hand off, you can't make a sound or he'll know. Not if you understand. She nodded. The stranger took his hand away and she stood up and backed into the corner. The man was dirty, his beard thick and unkempt, his hair greasy and long, but he was wearing clean clothes, a fresh button-up Oxford and a nice pair of jeans. It was an odd juxtaposition to his otherwise disheveled state. Grossman yelled from the living room, What's going on back there? Ariel raised her eyebrows. What do you want me to do? The stranger motioned for her to answer. Nothing, just a minute. The stranger held up a gun and pointed it at the hall. Ariel nodded, and he limped over behind the door. You ready yet? Grossman yelled. Yeah, Ariel said, giving the stranger a wary but hopeful look. I'm ready. You coming or not? Thanks again for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you are enjoying all of the new stories. If you are interested in buying The Wounded, The Sick, and The Dead, it will be available in digital and paperback on Tuesday, August 27. If it's past that, if you're listening to this past that, it's already available. You can pre-order it on my website, jamesnoll.net forward slash WSD. So that's J-A-M-E-S-N-O-L-L dot net forward slash WSD. If you pre-order it, or if you've missed the pre-order and you just want to order it afterwards, you get the digital copy, a signed paperback, mailed to you, and when the audiobook is complete, I will send you a digital copy of that as well. So, the Wounded, the Sick, and the Dead package is $9.99 right now for the pre-order, and the price will go up on the release day, which is Tuesday, August 27, 2019, 
You can check that out if you're interested in getting it at jamesknoll.net forward slash WSD once again. So thanks again for listening. You guys are awesome. Please keep on sending me feedback and hopefully you'll check out all the stuff at my website or support me on my uh, Mad Tales Patreon. And a bit about the Patreon. There are three different levels of support. You can give me a dollar a month for however long you want. And I will give you a thank you and a shout out on the podcast. Uh, you can give me $5 a month for however long you want. And not only do you get a thank you and a shout out, but I will also give you access for as long as you are supporting me uh, to all of my eBooks and all of the audio that includes the audiobooks and the music. And you can get that in the users area of the Mad Tales Patreon account or Patreon account or however you want to pronounce that. And then there is a $10 level. The $10 level gives you both the $1 level and the $5 level prizes. And you also get your own short story from my personalized, my customized short story service. If you are interested in any of that, you need to go to patreon.com forward slash Mad Tales. So thanks once again and tune in next week for a new short story.